if you're not going to teach somebody a lesson yeah, or even to show your partner what it's like for them to have all the responsibilities, mm-hmm. you're doing it wrong. That's not nacho and that's just being a beep. You're listening to the Nacho Kids Podcast, where we discuss all things step family related, real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. Welcome to episode 198 of the Nacho Kids Podcast. We're almost there, folks. We're almost there. We're almost there. So somebody said, what's the big deal? 200 episodes. I'm like, uh, because most podcasts don't make it past like eight episodes. <laughs> They're not? <laughs> no. Wow. No, it is a ton of work. So for anybody that that does podcasting, you know, celebrate it. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Yes. First of all, I want to remind people that Sylvia Krakauer has once again made a donation to Nacho Kids to provide scholarships for some of our listeners. If you are interested in applying for a scholarship for a free month of the Nacho Kids Academy, go to nachokids.com slash scholarships. I'm so proud of you. Why? Because you didn't say www. (laughs) (laughs) I also want to share a Nacho Kids, Nacho Parenting success story. Cool. If you are a stepmom struggling in any way, you've come to the right place. I could write a book on how much these podcasts and the Nacho Kids Academy have helped me personally. Write that book, honey. (laughs) He's talking to you, girl. (laughs) David and Lori, I cannot thank you guys enough for bringing this concept out into the world. Almost every podcast I've listened to, I will go from giggling my butt off to crying tears of relief that somebody else gets it. I no longer feel alone in the stepmom journey, and I feel so validated now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys are truly amazing. MC. Oh, MC Hammer. (laughs) No, that's not who that is. (laughs) Now, as soon as you said that, I picture in my head... That video, dance. yeah, of him dancing with his big old pants on, yeah. <laughs> I do need to add a disclaimer to this episode. There is mention of abuse and neglect in this episode. Hmm. We're talking about me? No, David, that ain't even funny. <laughs> stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we've told people about the stupid. We were playing a game with some friends of ours. Quite a while back now, actually. And (laughs) it was Taboo. And if you've ever played Taboo, you have to try to get your partner to guess words, right? Mm -hmm. Or to guess a word. But you can't say certain words. And uh, somebody was trying to get their wife to say the word they were trying to get them to say. And they messed up and said a word that was on the card. And she looked at him and she was like, stupid. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was so much fun. Uh, yeah, yeah. So now when I hear stupid, that's what I think of. You think of him. <laughs> I think of him. Poor thing. Poor thing. Poor thing. Okay. Our guest today is stepmom Sarah. She has been blending for seven years, has a stepson that is 13. He lives 1,300 miles away. Oh, gosh. Has four bio kids and an adopted 12-year-old son. All right. The hardest part of her blending has been not overdoing it for stepson, learning boundaries for herself, 
and dealing with high conflict by a mom and her awful husband. <laughs> I didn't mean to laugh, but I couldn't help it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, normally you kind of see the husbands taking a back seat to all of it. But yeah, if they're they're jumping in it too, that makes it even worse. Yeah. They have spent four years in court with the husband's ex. Mm. Her best advice, don't give negative people a place to put their focus on you. Don't give negative people a place to put their focus on you. Hmm. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm always the type of person that says, um, I appreciate you letting me live rent-free in your head. <laughs> <laughs> One thing we talk about in this episode is how awful the family court system is. I know. Shocker. Shocker. Mm-hmm. We also talk about how court orders are basically useless at times. Yeah. The, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even if they are good, you still have to end up paying all the money to enforce it. Right. It's like, why can't it be free? Like, well, you, it, it, I don't think it should necessarily be free. But I think if you take someone back to court because they did not follow the court order, which is contempt of court. Mm-hmm. Or contempt of the order. You shouldn't have to pay a dime. They should have to pay all your attorney's fees. They are the reason mm-hmm. you are in the courtroom. And I don't care if they act like they don't have $2 in a pot to piss in. They are the reason that you are having to go back to court. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if the court system would hold these people more accountable, the crazy people that just want to go to court every other week for whatever reason— or they don't want to follow the court order, would think twice about it. Yeah, you would think so. Anyway, this stepmom also had a stepdad, and the stepdad parented her. He did not nacho. (laughs) She also talks about how she loves the nacho method, and she talks about the importance of connection before correction. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And modeling Modeling, instead of... modeling, modeling. (laughs) And modeling behaviors instead of correcting them. I think that's the gentle parenting kind of idea. And we also talk about self-awareness. Very important. Very, very important. Not easy, Mm -mm. but important. Yep. And I think there's levels to that, too. Because some people ain't even aware they're on the planet. (laughs) All right, David, let's talk about something else. (laughs) So, David, you have a busy week next week. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. You are flying to Kentucky? Mm-hmm. Going to Louisville. And you're supposed to reach out to one of our Nacho Kids Academy members. I already have. Are you going to meet them? I am. I'm jealous. Yep. I Aww. am going to have dinner with a, one of our couples from the Academy. I'm so jealous. You should be. <laughs> And then when you finish with that, you are going directly from the airport somewhere else for some kind of rotary mess. Yep. I am going to be the president of our local rotary club uh, starting in July, and they put you through two years worth of training before you get to that. And so this is like my last uh, long training. And so it'd be a, a, like three days that I get to do that before I start to take the helm in, in July. So for all you other Rotarians out there, what's up? (laughs) (laughs) And so you'll be the president for a year? Yep, one year. 
And then after that, will you continue to be part of the Rotary? Yep. Yep. Okay. I'll be uh, next year. I'll be what's called the immediate past president. So I still I still have to serve on the board, and I have to help the person coming behind me, the next president. So they have they have it structured pretty well. But um, I've got the the person that's coming after me. They're they're doing the training that I did last year, and so I'm helping them along the way. And then once I'm done and out of the way, they'll be helping the next person. And so that way, hopefully, by the time you get there, you you know what you're doing, and um, and at the very least, you left the club better than you found it, hopefully. <laughs> Don't kill well, the club. That's what they say. <laughs> well, bless you, my husband, because I know you put a lot of time and work into the Rotary, and the Rotary is to benefit other people in the community. Yep, yep. It's a way for me to get out there and do customer, not customer service, <laughs> for me to get out there and do community service. Uh, but it's it's not just a local level, but we do things at even a global level. So we have ways that we help places like Honduras and all these other, you know, I can't do that by myself. So being able to partner with the Rotary, I'm able to be part of that that global foundation that can do that. But I do say, or I will say that I do enjoy the local things more, probably because I mean, you get to see it and you be, you're intimately a part of it versus just donating to it. So yeah, for those people who aren't in Rotary, it's definitely worth looking into or, or any other organization where you can get out and do some community service. Cause it, there is nothing other than committing a crime. <laughs> yeah. Um, there, there's nothing quite like helping other people to make you happy. It, it's honestly, I think that's where true happiness comes in is when you are able to help somebody else it, you feel I think it's more for me than it is for them sometimes. You know, even though they're getting the benefit of the help, just, you know, the way it makes me feel and all that, how happy it makes me, that's, it's benefiting me more than them. Yes. And that is true. Yep. So get out there and help somebody. So good job, honey. Good job. And no, I will not be joining the Rotary. No, but you will be coming to some of the events. Yes. (laughs) I like going yep. to some of the events. Yep. Get to act up. That's why I go. It's for entertainment it purposes. You don't get yeah, enough of that at a, home? Yeah, but you act a little different when you're in public. Is that good or bad? Depends on who you ask. <laughs> okay, so how do I act different in public? Well, you're more entertaining I think you're just in a, maybe, I don't want to say a better mood, because that makes it sound like we're horrible here, but I think that you thrive on being around people. Mm-hmm. It feeds your humorisms. <laughs> I, I just like, I like making people laugh. I like improving their day. Yeah. You know? Everybody's got enough crap to worry about and to drag them down, so I want to be the sunshine in your life. Oh, my Lord. All right, folks, uh, I'm going to say, let's get to listening. (laughs) Today, we have stepmom, Sarah. Hey, Sarah, how are you? I am good. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about your blend. Okay, so I have three older children that are adults, live on their own. I have a younger child that is 12, and then my stepson is just about 14, and he lives... Uh, 1,300 miles away in Michigan. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. So I take it you don't do every other weekend with that kid. <laughs> we do not do. We did. Um, we did every other weekend. And then during the pandemic, we were doing more, but they made the decision to move. And so now we, you know, do longer breaks and things like that. Is that hard on your husband? I think the way that, and I'll try to talk about this without getting emotional. I think my husband got sober for his son almost 12 to 13 years ago or 11 years ago. Sorry. And he is his whole reason for being and everything that he's done. And, you know, since then, and so his, his son was taken overnight without really notice or permission. Oh gosh. And so like he showed up for a visit um, after being told we're moving and his son wasn't there. And so that was incredibly traumatic to watch and for him to go through. And it really had a huge impact on who he was for the next couple of years. And he's just now starting to kind of heal. That's horrible. It was pretty rough. I mean, it was, it was pretty rough at the time of their divorce. And this is why when I talk to people, I'm like, make sure you have a really strong decree at the time of the divorce, there was some infidelity. And so, I mean, he was newly sober. And so in order to maintain his sobriety, he made the decision to move to another state to work and try to kind of hold on to the progress that he'd made in his sobriety. And so when they finalized the divorce, there were no geographical restrictions in place. Oh. And so she was able to then just live wherever she wanted. Yeah. And a lot of times when parents first go into this and they get divorced and they're talking about visitation and all that stuff, they don't think to include certain things. Right. And it's really disappointing to me that attorneys don't have, let's say, a checklist of everything that should be included in that parenting plan Right. To where there's no gray areas. It's black or white. And it's unfortunate because I really think they don't do that because they can make more money when you have to come back. I mean, I have navigated the family court system for the last 12 years, both personally and then as a foster parent. And then obviously after this move happened and before we spent about four years in family courts. And so I have some feelings about the family court. <laughs> yeah, I do too. A and lot how, of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And how it is, it, it, there's, there's a movie called Divorce Court and it explains how it's a business. I think it's a four plus billion dollar a year business. Uh-huh. So I don't necessarily think sometimes they do things in order to try to make more money, but they are certain, certainly willing to take your money. Right. Well, unfortunately, um, I know several attorneys. I've been in and out of family court for 17 years. So I actually had an attorney that I asked him, I said, why did you not word that differently? Because the way you worded it, it leaves it open for us to have to go back to court. He said, it's called Mm -hmm. job security. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes there's a little bit of that for sure. And when we finally, when we went back and we, and we finally had a final trial and finally got a decree we were very careful about checking it. But here's the thing people don't understand about a decree is that if you've got somebody who's, who's going to, you know, that's really high conflict and they're going to do what they're going to do, even if you have a final decree, they're not going to follow it. Exactly. And 
our courts typically then do not make people follow these decrees. And so then you spend more money trying to go back and hold people in contempt. And it often is ineffective. Exactly. Unless it's really really egregious contempt. So decrees are great to have, but if you've got somebody who's proven they're not going to follow the rules, they're kind of not going to follow the rules and most likely no one's going to make them. Right. And that's what sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I can't, I can't explain how frustrating that is. Like I said, I've been through the family court system for 17 years. Certain things were put in the first court order, go back to court for whatever reason. And the judge then says, oh, well, I think that's crazy. That shouldn't be in there. And they take it out. And then really the process is supposed to be if I filed for whatever reason, right, then Mm -hmm. if it wasn't child support, then child support shouldn't be added on to that. That should be a separate filing. But they've gotten to where they let people do that, too. Yeah, they just kind of go in, and so they don't go off of the pleadings or whatever, and they just kind of go in. I mean, I know in our case, perfect example. So, you know, obviously we, and there's a there's a there's a lot of backstory, and we had a very very we had an incredibly strong case and a very good attorney, and we never asked for a child support modification. As a matter of fact, my husband, when he was making really good money, voluntarily was paying almost two thousand dollars a month in child support. Wow, he volunteered to do that. And when it came down to the final ruling, while we had all of this evidence for why the child should be in our care, the child stayed with mom, but the judge ordered my husband not pay any more child support, (laughs) which is not even something we asked for. Right. Yeah. It's not, he just said, you guys just pay for plane tickets instead and in lieu of child support. And so, but we didn't ask to not do that. And what that did, because mom's situation is, you know, very financially unstable, that put the child under more pressure. Yeah. Um, Cause it made mom mad. It made mom mad and it means there's less resources in the house for the child. Right. What we have done is he's got, you know, a little, a green light card and we load that card. And when he's with us, you know, we buy clothes and things like that. And then we have constant conversations about what do you need? You know, do you need shoes? Do you need clothing? that sort of thing. And so, but, you know, he doesn't ask, but we're constantly offering. And then, you know, obviously like he's got a trip coming up um, at school. And so we're going to really work hard to make that possible for him. But yeah, I mean, we didn't ask him not pay child support. It was never in our wildest imagination that a child and my attorney's like, I haven't seen this in 30 years ever. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was just the strangest ruling Ever. Yeah. Yeah. That we didn't ask for. Of course, the ex could have filed an appeal because it is a strange ruling, but that's cost a fortune too. Yeah. And at the end, she was pro se, you know, because of her financial situation. And so that filing an appeal is very expensive and very incredibly difficult. So I think that was kind of outside of her wheelhouse. And honestly, because of the way that the court case played out, we could have filed an appeal. Mm -hmm. But there comes a point where you make a decision to honor your own family and your own family's resources and finances and and surrender. And that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. And, And that's a good point. At some point, you have to 
say, we are going to continue to do this, but not at the detriment of our other family or ourselves or our finances. You don't want to be aiding and working because you fought in the family court system for 10 years. Right. Absolutely. And so one of our, and when we got together, the way that we structured our relationship, we had a conversation. And so, you know, we put God first in our relationship and we put our marriage second or ourselves second, taking care of ourselves second. And then our marriage comes next and then the kids come next. And because, you know, those kids will grow up and move out. I'm proof of that. And so when you start looking at things with that filter and the priorities that you set for your marriage, you just realize, and, and you're not getting anywhere, you know, you're filing. And in our case, we would file and then mom and would kind of clean up the situation enough to where we felt safe because we didn't want to take this kid from his mom. Right. You know, we just wanted him to be safe and well taken care of and, and not even like from my perspective, because the stepmom gets so much blame. We wanted him to be safe and taken care of from my husband. I mean, there were, there were massive concerns, but you, you're not getting anywhere with it. And, and when they would kind of clean it up, then we would say, okay, we would back off a little bit. And then another CPS case would show up or something else would happen. And so, and these court cases are so detrimental to the kids that sometimes it's almost better to leave the kid in a, a not good environment. When you've got a high conflict mom, you know, and stepdad that are talking to this child and traumatizing this child, that it's almost like the story of King Solomon in the Bible. It's like, just let him have the whole baby instead of continuing to rip him in half. Yeah. And we made that decision a couple of times. Obviously, when he left, we couldn't ignore that. We couldn't just let that happen. And we made, we said, hey, you know, he's in school. He has one more year. Why don't you just leave him with us? You guys go up there and get settled. And we made lots of offers and those were ignored. And so then it was like, okay, well, you know, we're going to have to go back to court again, Um, again. And so, and so we did, and that took two years. And so this child has spent basically until last year, he spent almost half of his life navigating family court, which isn't healthy. No. And it's not healthy for y'all either. No, nobody tells you about that. You go sit down with your lawyer, you know, they don't tell you what your odds are. They don't tell you how they think it's going to go. They don't give you any guarantees or promises, of course. And they don't tell you how it's going to completely wreck your life. Yes. Yep. (laughs) They don't tell you that. Yeah. And so like, that's why, you know, a lot of my platform on social media is preparing people for that. Like you need to know this is going to, the only guarantee is it's going to wreck your life mm-hmm. yes. you know, and it's going to hurt your kids. And is it worth it? Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you've just got to throw your hands up. Sometimes you have to surrender. And, you know, we've been in this season of surrender. I went you, I'm, I'm a big believer in counseling and therapy and support, especially when you're navigating blended family and a double, especially when you're navigating court. And I went to therapy to just kind of process the last four years. Mm-hmm. And I had this amazing lady say to me, when you are the target for people that have nasty energy, when they're coming at you and, and you are, you're out there holding the you know, flag, Hey, shoot at me, shoot at me. Mm-hmm. It's going to be directed at you. But if you just surrender people that are, that are negative and toxic, are, they're not going to stop being negative and toxic. Right. 
And all of that toxicity and negativity is no longer directed at you. And often it goes back into the family system and begins to explode it from the inside out. Yes. And I thought, man, that's genius. <laughs> like, duh, it's so simple. I should have figured that out. Yeah. I do this. Um, and we just, you know, we decided to surrender and let go. And we kind of let my stepson's mom have what she wants. We just kind of let her have her way. Yeah. Okay. You want it like that? Fine. You want it this way? She's not following the order. She's in contempt. We could take her back and continue and whatever, but we're letting it go. And we're seeing what that counselor said to us come true. Right. And two, if you did choose to fight it, it's going to be even harder because she's in a different state now. Yeah, I mean, the case stays in our county here because we live here and it has jurisdiction. So, um, but she could ask to have it moved. She, well, she, she could. There's, there's rules around that because we both asked to have this move. So, um, Dallas County is notoriously horrendous for family court. Mm-hmm. It's notoriously horrendous. And we live in a neighboring county and we tried to have it moved and she tried to have it moved to Michigan. Because of some of the rules around that, the court didn't allow it. Ah, I know my ex, after losing continuously in the county I was living in when I had my son, after David and I got married, I moved counties, and he Mm -hmm. decided to have it moved. And they Mm -hmm. let him. And I'm thinking, nobody ever asked me. Right. I think there's some rules around like when you file and like there's a certain time period of when you file the case and when you have to file to have the jurisdiction changed. But but that should have been a red flag for somebody that he is the one requesting it be changed to a different county that he doesn't even live in. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Yeah. And what's fascinating here, Dallas County is so huge, is that it has associate judges. So the judges hire judges to work under them as associates. And so when you have hearings, you go in front of an associate judge, not your original judge. So when you go to trial, this is the first time you've seen this judge. And they don't always know the case. Well, that stinks. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, and, and I mean, that makes no sense again. Yeah, you've never seen this guy before. He doesn't know you. He doesn't know your family. You know, they're supposed to read over all the pleadings and they're supposed to look over the case. Yeah. They're so, the docket, you know, just for comparison, I'm a CASA advocate. And in Denton County, when they have to reset a hearing, they reset it for like the next week or the week after. Mm -hmm. Um, In Dallas County, it's months. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Some of the stuff with the family court system is not just because they want life to be difficult for people or because it's shady, but some of it's just they need to set up different processes and almost like the DMV. Yeah. You've seen the DMV evolve over the years from instead of standing in line for three hours, now they have the ticket system and they direct people to certain counters and it's more effective. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like Chick-fil-A should run the family court system. Amen. So they can say, have a blessed day when you go to leave. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they have that down. Chick-fil-A should run a whole, you know, like, they have, yeah. I mean, it, it's, <laughs> it's not set up for efficiency. But again, these are, these are people's jobs. And the more inefficient it is, 
the more money they make. And so there's not a lot of impetus to change it by the people that are inside the system because it's working for them. It's just not working for our kids. Right. But that's who it's supposed to be for. Right. But I mean, anybody that's navigated family court knows that the court system is about parents, right? There's nothing to do with the rights of children to live healthy, happy, safe, safe, successful lives. Right. It's about the right, the right of the parent to possess. Well, and it's about which attorney can schmooze the judge better or which judge likes women better versus men or, I mean, it's, it's just, it's so crazy. It drives me insane. <laughs> that it is. That yes. it is. I actually you know, have a friend that lives where I used to live, and she was a paralegal. And I asked her, I said, will you be a guest on our podcast? She said, girl, no. And I was like, why? You know so much? She said, that's why. She said, you do not mm-hmm. understand how deep the family court system is embedded in everything. She said, "Well, yeah, I would be, honest <laughs> to God, afraid for my life. I said, really? Wow. She said, yeah. 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 I mean, my dad was a criminal defense attorney, my stepdad, and in the little small surrounding cities, you know, in the county or whatever, it's it's a thing. And even it's interesting to me in the county where I'm in Acasa because it's small and all of these judges and attorneys, they go to events together. They're all friendly. They hang out, Mm -hmm. you know, and then they're supposed to like make decisions. And as much as they're not supposed to have bias, I can't fathom how that would not come into play. Like when I go into court in my role as an advocate, I don't want to work with attorneys or CPS caseworkers that I have relationship with. You know, there's a judge now in that county that was my attorney when I intervened and fought for custody of my foster son. He's a judge. We have a really great relationship and admire and respect each other. Is it going to be fair for me to go into that courtroom and represent my side to him because I believe he's going to be impartial and unbiased and he's going to still rule, you know, by the law and what he believes in is in best, best interest. But is it appropriate for me to be in that court presenting my information? I don't think so. And he and I need to have a conversation about that if I get a case that's in his court and see if maybe I need to pass that along somewhere else. Right. You know? Well, and that's really good that you even think that way because a lot of people would say, oh, yeah, I wouldn't say nothing and I'm going to get, you know, it's going to be in my favor because he likes me. We're friends. Right. Right. Yeah. But see, and that's the thing because I'm in this, for people that don't know, CASA is Court Appointed Special Advocate. So I get assigned cases. It's a volunteer program, but I'm an I'm a uh-huh. officer of the court and a guardian ad litem. And I'm representing the best interest of a child or children that are in foster right. care. And so that is a huge responsibility. It is a huge responsibility, especially in our county, because the judges really listen to CASA. And so the weight of that and knowing that I have to have really good information and I have to make really clear, unbiased decisions for these kids because it's going to affect them for their whole lives. And I'm like, but I think, I think attorneys, you know, my dad is a lawyer. There's some great attorneys out there. I've done podcasts with attorneys, but a lot of them, I think, just get in the business of doing it and they forget about the people that they're serving. Right. And two, to give them a little credit, when we go in there, this is our life. 
Right. They are dealing with 10 people a day. They might have 20 cases that they're working. Right. And it's not necessarily that they don't care. It's they can't care too much because they've got all these other people to think about. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. I mean, that's that's very, very true. And they're looking at, you know, when I work with people, this is deeply emotional for us. And we're wanting to, one of my really close friends is a paralegal and she gives her clients her personal cell phone number. And I'm like, sister, and her phone is constantly blowing up and they, her, her firm handled our case and blowing this woman up. And really what attorneys care about is like the facts of the case. They don't care about your emotions. You know, they mm-hmm. care about what's the evidence that I can use in this is going to present the strongest case. That's what they care about. Right. Um, the feelings. And so this is why it's important, I think, to work with people when you're going through stuff like this so that you're not bringing all of your feelings to your attorney. You're bringing facts because there's such a thing as like over documenting for court, you know, and giving your attorney too much. Um, right. And you're paying. You're paying for yeah. them to listen to you complain about nothing that is going to help yeah. your case. Yeah, therapy is a lot cheaper than five hundred dollars an hour for a good attorney. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But you're right. They care about the facts, and I've actually had an attorney that he had no qualms whatsoever about sitting there for an hour looking on my ex's Facebook page. Oh, and charging for it. Oh, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. To see if there was anything that might could be used, which. Mm -hmm. A lot of the stuff he was looking at, he knew it couldn't be used. Right. Right. And that's what I was going to say is rarely will an attorney do this, but a good attorney will say, Lori, I understand you're upset, but we need to focus on the facts because that's what this case is based on. Right. And and on that note, you know, as far as attorneys, you know, being really good advocates and investigators, uh, the attorney I was talking about earlier, that's a judge now that was my attorney in our case, he called me one day and he said, my afternoon is clear. I want to go do some investigating. It's going to be expensive. Can I have your, you know, here's what I'm thinking. And can I have your permission? And I was like, go. And he did. And he uncovered a lot of stuff in that, you know, $4,000 afternoon. But it was, it was really, really, really worthwhile. But he asked. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, and these are the things that I just don't think people, I had had, even though I knew it was painful and awful, and I know the family courts are painful and awful, I had always had success. And I come, my, my, my stepfather is an attorney. I know how to navigate the court system. I'm very familiar with it. So, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm looking at, I mean, this mountain of evidence. I was a licensed foster parent. I work for the court. I own my own business. We run a nonprofit. My husband's sober. The state gave me other people's children and let me keep one. Like we're, we're, we are so soft. There's nothing. We have, a, you, anybody could come walk through this house and look right. You would find nothing. You know? right. And we went in with all of this and I was astounded by how little success we had. <laughs> you know, like just how is this possible? Well, you know, I mean, we've got we've got a we've got a mom that's married to a registered sex offender that moved to another state and didn't register. We've got a child that's writing about wanting to die at school that's on all of these medications without his father being consulted, and we've got 
pictures of the interior of the home. We've got multiple CPS investigations. We have therapists that are wanting it. We have so much stuff. And so to not being successful and having some success in this was astounding. Right. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is where people judge people who don't fight hard enough for their children. Those people have never been through this. First of all, we shouldn't have to fight. Yeah. Well, it's like that meme about instead of asking a man why he didn't fight harder for his children, ask why he had to fight. In the first place, yeah. Yeah, we judge people that don't fight, but they've never tried to fight. And if you're fighting a machine. Mm-hmm. You're fighting a very, very, very expensive machine that is trying to destroy you and it's destroying your children. And there's wisdom in not fighting and there's wisdom in, in laying it down and just surrendering and knowing that as children age, a lot of them, when they get into the, their teens, decide they want to live with the other parent. And then when they're that old, there's not a whole lot anybody can do about it. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know? a lot of people do look at it as you gave up on your kid. Yeah. 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 But sometimes the most loving thing you can do for your children is surrender and put down the swords. And I also, too, when I'm working with people, really look at our motivations behind why we're fighting. Are we really fighting because we feel like this is in the best interest? Or are we fighting out of our unhealed stuff around the relationship or from our childhood? Like, why are we fighting? What is it? What is it really? Right. Are you, like you said, are you really looking for the best interest of the child or is it just to one up your ex? Right. Yeah. Right. And you know, where it gets messy a lot of the time, uh, speaking of blended families is stepmom shows up (laughs) and mom gets her hackles up. Mm -hmm. And in my case, in the beginning, everything was really copacetic and she was, I was the best thing that ever happened to my husband and she was so happy I was around and we were getting along and everything was great. But as a step parent, whether you're a step mom or a step dad, you have this unique perspective that you're not in it and you can kind of stand back and look at things. Mm-hmm. And I always feel like my husband is the best source of information for what's going on with my kids because he's not their parent and he can point things out to me that maybe I don't see. Right. And that's what I started to do. I just started to go, you know, this isn't necessarily healthy or right. Something's not right here. And I had all this experience with children and I started kind of pointing stuff out. So then when my husband, who had never had children and did not have an active and present father and and had pretty harsh stepdad, he didn't really know how to be a dad and he didn't know what it should look like. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had no model of what healthy parenting looks like. And he had no model of what an active involved father looks like. So when sometimes as stepmothers, we come in and we start saying, hey, we start shining light on things. Our husbands go, oh, oh, okay. They start waking up and then they start kind of demanding answers and it becomes our fault and we become the target. Right. Right. That's what happens. It's really unfortunate. My son's stepmother is, we're very different. And I made a TikTok about this. You know, we're very different. She's very rigid and structured and that is how she parents and it used to bother me until I realized that some of that structure, I kind of wish I had. 
Mm-hmm. Like I wish I could be that way, but I've been a mom for 28 years and I'm tired and I've never been that way. Right. So I think sometimes that people can get really honest with themselves when there's conflict and they're triggered by the other person, another parent in the situation, they can kind of look at if they're able to be emotionally mature enough, they can look and say, oh, this is why this bothers me. And understanding the why sometimes releases the trigger. Right. Yes. Yeah. So you said you had a stepdad. Yes. So you grew up in a blended family. Yeah. My mom remarried. She and my stepdad have been together for a long time now, a long, long time. Uh, my dad married multiple times. He married the same woman twice and, and all of that. So <laughs> that just cracks me up I, when that happens. I know. It's like taking the milk out of the fridge, you know, and it's bad, but putting it back in and saving it for later and then getting it back out. It's like still bad. Yes. You know? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so multiple blends and lots of experience being a child in a blended family. How old were you when your parents split up? 10. Okay. 10. And so yeah. you've had a lot of experience with stepmoms. A lot of experience with stepmoms. A lot. Uh, you know, my dad's second wife was in in hindsight now. And honestly, I didn't, I mean, I always kind of liked her. Like she kind of, you know, did what I think stepmoms should do. She treated me like she would treat her best friend's kid. And we went shopping and we did things, but there wasn't any direct parenting. Mm-hmm. And as an adult, um, I even lived with her at a time where I needed a place to live. So his third wife, who was also his fourth wife, <laughs> she and I were just not close. He's remarried now to, I guess, his fourth wife. And, you know, we're very different personalities, but we're, we, as adults, we do fine. Right. right. It took me, my stepfather was, was 10 years younger than my mom. So he's only 12 years older than me. Okay. And he was not prepared. And my parents, my mom and him moved me to another state the summer before seventh grade, which is like, if you're listening to me, don't do that. Don't move your kids to another state right before middle school, which is also what happened to my stepson, strangely enough, because it, it can be devastating. It's a horrible, it's just the developmental time. Like, don't do that. Right. And I really rebelled and was really a, an awful teenager. And my stepdad and I had a pretty tense relationship up until I was about 35 and I'm 48 now. So, but things got better. Things got better. You know, I think as we mature and with time and we have our own children and especially like me being a step parent to a child that has some behavior or has some behavioral issues some pretty significant behavioral issues gave me a lot of grace for my stepdad. Yes. Yes. A lot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure. Yeah. But he had the, my father, when my parents, after they, my father wasn't really involved. He wasn't a super active and present dad. And so like a lot of men of his time. And so my stepdad didn't have what a lot of stepmothers have, which is conflict with the other parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Did he come in parenting you? Yeah. He came in parenting me. Yeah. Yeah. And which is, which we don't do. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You know, I tell people now, however old your stepchild is, like if they're five, it's going to be five years before you can even think about laying down some discipline or some ground rules, you know? Right. Yep. We have to connect with our stepchildren before we correct them. I kind of fell into that trap because I had so much experience as a foster parent and, you know, when kids are in care, they're in your home and their parents have very little say about what happened. Mm -hmm. Very little. 
you're, you get to be pretty much autonomous. I mean, the state's coming in and checking on you and you've been thoroughly vetted, but you kind of get to run it the way you want to run it. So that was my, the way I operated. So when I became a step parent, I still was operating from that, not recognizing that I really needed to take a breather. And I didn't do a great job until I was able to release that and recognize that this child had other parents and that if he didn't eat vegetables, it wasn't going to be the end of the world and Mm -hmm. (laughs) things like that. Right. Yes. Yeah. That's what I work with people on now is that, you know, I'm, I'm working with someone right now about just that letting go. Like if the laundry doesn't get put away, like what's more important? The question I always ask is, is your relationship with your stepchild more important or is having them do things the way you want them to do things more important? Which one? Right. Exactly. And, you know, that's one yeah. of the things that we teach and we help people with because you can honestly feel like you need to get divorced over a wet towel. But yeah. what's your hill to die on? And you can't have 30 of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And my hill to die on is, you know, now in this season where we're in, where we have surrendered and decided we're just going to follow people's whims and let them run it because that's when they feel safe and in control and that creates more safety and harmony for the child. So our hill to die on is that our home is peaceful and joyful and that our home and our marriage and our finances are protected. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much it. And that's kind of like, I'm like, our rules are be helpful and be kind. And when my stepson's here, I don't open the door to that room. If he leaves macaroni and cheese dust on the counter, I wipe it up. Not that he wouldn't come wipe it up. You know what I mean? But it's just, it's just not worth it. Right. It's not worth it. Yeah. It's, instead of taking two seconds to wipe it up, you're going to spend an hour mad about it. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, I get and it I because just, some people are thinking, but I shouldn't have to wipe it up. But if it's bothering you, way which is less stressful, figure it right. out. And I'm not saying don't be mad if something makes you mad. Be mad. Deal with it. Set a timer on your phone. I'm going to be mad for eight minutes. Well, if you sit there and try to be mad about something for eight minutes solid while you've got a timer on, after a minute and a half, two minutes, you're like, this is a completely. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is, that's, that's the thing. And, but we do, we get caught up in this stuff. And so many people fail to look at what's going on in them internally. It took me a few years into my stepmother journey until in like some therapy because I, I was, reacting a lot out of this need to protect. Obviously, I have a strong desire to protect children. I mm-hmm. have taken in children. I'm still working to protect children. That is why God put me on this planet and I'm doing that work. But my reactions and my the emotions that were informing my reactions were out of the fact that I wasn't protected as a child. And I had this need to, to keep my stepson, quote unquote, safe. And what I will tell you is the bar for safety in the family court system is incredibly low, mm-hmm. incredibly low. You know, I mean, things that we would, situations that we would never consider allowing our children to live in are okay with court. Right. So <laughs> a lot of people, you know, and I hear stepmoms, they get mad because you know, their stepkids have dirty clothes or their hair's not combed and they get all you know on their high horse and judgmental and they want to go to court for neglect. And I'm just like go, you should need to take that money and put it in a college fund Mm -hmm. and go to therapy because 
they don't care. The courts are not going to care. They want, they have minimum living standards for kids. Right. And they're not going to take a kid away from their bio parent because someone else doesn't think the kid is clean, we'll say. Yeah, because they don't brush their hair right or feed them or brush their teeth every day. Yeah. 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 They're they're not. And so you're going to have to as as step parents, we have to do work on ourselves to identify where our reactions are coming from so that we can have more harmony in our house. Because really a lot of times it comes back to us. Now that doesn't mean we had we had situations because my stepson does have He's starting to outgrow it, but he had some very intense behaviors. And there were times where my son was physically hurt. We we have to step in, obviously. Right. We, you know, that's a place where I'm going to step in and I'm going to parent and I'm going to separate kids and I'm going to call my husband and you're coming home from work and we're going to deal with this. We are not going to let people hurt people. Right. That's, that's a lot different. But, you know, even in that case, like I know, like there's some diagnoses out there and there's some therapeutic help that we could probably provide for this child and some supports in the school that would make this situation so much better for him because kids don't want to misbehave. They don't want to feel bad about themselves. Right. But here, guess what? I can't make somebody else take their child to therapy. Right. And neither can my husband. He can make the, the appointment, but she doesn't have to show up. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking when you were talking about the family courts, we'll say standards of what is safe Mm -hmm. for a child. I'm not saying we should go to extremes, but I wonder if stepmoms had that lower standard, if it would create a lot more peace. Oh, I think so. And I'm not saying neglect as far as they're not feeding them, you know, the obvious stuff or abuse. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about bio mom doesn't make little Johnny brush his teeth every night. Stepmom's ready to go to court. Yeah. She's ready to go to court. She's ready to fight for full custody. And then two years down the road, she's ready to get divorced because she realizes that was a mistake. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Lower standards, you know, and this is why I talk about like the best friend's child method. Like, you want to treat your stepkid like you do your best friend's kid. So you're going to, and there are times I have had CPS called on me, the same department that I adopted from showed up on my doorstep on my birthday and interviewed my adopted child because there were claims made that I was abusive and an alcoholic. And my stepson corroborated those because he was made to. And so there was a lot of hurt around that. And during that time, I had to go to what is instead of the best friend method, I had to go to the three hots and a cot method. And I told my husband, I'm not going to be alone with him until this blows over. I'm going to provide him something to eat and make sure that he has clean clothes and a clean place to sleep. But that is as much as I can do right now. Right. You know? Yes. Now we're in, the, now we're in back in the best friend kid stage. And so I don't tell my best friends how to parent. I don't worry about how often they take their kids to the dentist and what goes on because like that's my best friend. And when the kid comes over, I include them in the fun things and I make sure that they have a good time while they're here. I don't directly parent unless there's an, an immediate safety need. If there's a parenting issue, I may go to my, my best friend and talk to her about it. But that is a way that, you know, and people will say, but my, my best friends don't like neglect their children. Yeah. And my best and I'm like, I know, but this is like, it's just how we're going to handle this, like how we're going to navigate it to where we can 
be in a more removed place. Right. And yeah, the lower standards, you know, here's the deal. If we all shine a light on ourselves, like I said, I am not a strict and rigid mother. My son probably has too much screen time. You know, it's just him here. I've got, uh, I, I run a practice. Like I have a volunteer position, probably has too much screen time. He's mostly healthy, but he also, you know, I don't do things perfectly, but I'm a really good mom and my kid loves me. Right. And if we all look at ourselves, there are ways that we fall short. Nobody's doing it perfect. And if you are, I bet you're exhausted. Right. You know, one of the <laughs> things we say for the, the nacho and quick tips is to treat your stepkid as you would a friend's child. Right. And yeah. like you said, I do get pushback on that. Well, my friend's kid would never do this. Or if my friend's kid did this, blah, 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 blah. But there is a clear separation between adulting and parenting. Adulting is saying, little Johnny, we don't hit people. Right. Don't, you know, don't do that. That's dangerous. That's hurtful. Whatever. Parenting is, little Johnny, I'm going to tear your butt up. Or little Johnny, you're going to lose your phone for a day. Right. There's a difference in that. And I think once people understand that difference, it makes things easier. Now, granted, there was a time with my stepkids that I would not say anything to them. And that's really the number one rule of not showing is don't say anything negative to or about the stepkids because mm -hmm. you're trying to heal the hurt. And you're trying to kind of mm -hmm. reset this foundation to build for, with these kids. And if you're constantly on them, you're going to, first of all, not build good relationships with them because they're thinking, I don't know who you think you are telling me this stuff, but you're also could harm your marriage because your significant other is going to look at, oh, well, my kid did something wrong, but she's going crazy. So the target shifts from mm -hmm. what the kid did wrong to my partner is crazy and doesn't like my kid. Yeah. I mean, I know in the early days, I took a lot of walks. There were a lot of times where I was like, you know, it would get kind of hot in the house and I'm like, I'm going on a walk or I would just get in my car mm -hmm. until I found out from my stepson that that was very traumatizing for him because his, his initial family had broken apart. And he felt like when I did that, that this family was breaking apart. And we had to have a conversation about like, I'm getting worked up and I just have to take a minute. Right. And what's great about that is now he does that. Mm -hmm. So he takes a minute and it was a teaching moment. But yeah, I, I do think though sometimes with the nacho method, people need to be careful. I love it. I love like, I'm a, I preach against not jumping in and doing all the things for all the people in your wounded family. But I do think sometimes people nacho as a way of punishing Yes, they're doing it to either punish the stepkid or they're doing it to punish their significant other. Yeah. And yeah. I cannot say this enough, and we really struggle with getting this message across. I think we're just going to have to do more videos publicly about it to help people understand because my Facebook group, out of 25,000 people, you might have 50 that get it. And mm -hmm. it's one of those things, I'm not arguing with you about it. I'm trying to help you. If you want to argue, take that to somebody else. But right. If you nacho out of love, it, the method yeah. was born out of a place for love. Now, I'll say it wasn't for a place of love for my stepkids at the time. Not that I wanted something bad to happen to them, but it was a place of love for my husband. Mm -hmm. 
And mm-hmm. if you're not going to be petty, yeah. If you're not going to teach somebody a lesson, yeah. Or even to show your partner what it's like for them to have all the responsibilities, mm-hmm. you're doing it wrong. That's not nachoing. That's just being a beep. <laughs> yeah, and it goes it goes back to you know what I talk about a lot, which is check your motivations and check what's going on with you. Because if you're doing any behavior out of a place of negativity or hurt or anger, it will backfire and it's not going to be good and it's not attractive, you know? So for me, because I had had all these kids and, you know, it's like they just come in and then I just know how to make them part of the family and how to make ship run or whatever. Like a lot of new stepmoms do. I, I, I have a thing and that's kind of what I'm writing about right now is the four stages of step parenting. They come in and we just start doing all of the things Mm -hmm. and we take away responsibility from these fathers and they're just like, cool, somebody's doing all these tasks for me. And it's not even intentional. It's just what we do. I think as women, we just come in and start doing it all. Right. Exactly. And then, you know, we have to be careful with that because we're sending a message to our husbands that they're not capable of parenting their children, that we can do it better. And that is very harmful. And in my stepping back and recognizing that not only was I getting burned out and resentful because I was doing a lot of things that weren't mine to do, but yet I had no power over influencing the outcome of anything, like making anything different. I'm just giving with no, no power to have any control. I was, you know, I I was, I was keeping him from doing stuff. And so he's, steps forward more and so it's really cool like he's excited now like he um, is buying Christmas presents and birthday presents and he's excited about those things that he got for those son his son and these men had these children before we showed up they're perfectly capable of parenting without us right they're perfectly capable yes and that doesn't mean I don't help him with things and I don't provide child care and I don't help him find flights and I don't make a nice Christmas and all of those things but those but He's capable of all of that stuff. Right. He's capable. I think when we are, when we find ourselves being in a place of resentment, that is a sign that we have overstepped personal boundaries and we are getting burned out and we have to take a breather. Exactly. And like you said, we come in where it's almost natural. I don't know if it goes back to way, way back in the day when the woman stayed in the cave and the man went out and hunted. You know, I I don't know where (laughs) it comes from, but we come in and it's, we're going to take over dinner plans. We're going to take over laundry, chores, uh, delegation of chores, doing the homework, watching the power school to see what the grades are. We're just going to take over all of it. And we do Mm -hmm. it because it's natural, number one. Number two, we do it because we want to help. But then very quickly, like you said, we will become burnout and resentful. Yeah, because you're, and we had this convert, we had this fight multiple times. It's like, man, I, but okay, you ha- you're having me do all of this stuff. But yet when I'm saying I want this to be a different way, mm-hmm. you won't let me. Right. How is that fair? You're yes. having me, and I, I'm sure a lot of women in this position have said you've had, you're having me be a mother without any of the rights of being a mother. Right. And when it's convenient for them. Yeah. And even, yeah. You can taxi my kid around. You can pay for stuff for them. You can cook for them, do their laundry, all this stuff. But don't you dare discipline little Johnny. 
Right. No. Right. And honestly, you know, we shouldn't be. And and I think, you know, what you teach is similar to what they teach us, uh, you know, as foster parents, that we have to build connection before we can correct, you know, connection before correction. Yes. And I think that's what Nacho is about on some level is teaching, is is building the connection. It is. You know, building the connection and modeling behaviors. Yes. What, instead of trying to correct behaviors for a child that, and it's doubly difficult when you have, I didn't know, like all of the, even the foster children I had, some of their mothers were difficult, but they all knew that their children were safe and loved and that I was doing a good job with them. And they all respected my role. And I have an incredible co-parenting relationship with my kid's dad. As a matter of fact, yesterday I woke up, my car didn't start. And my husband was like, I'm stuck here. It's going to be a minute. I need to be in court. I called my kid's dad. (laughs) <laughs> like we have a great relationship. You know, we, we check in about once a week and, and chit chat on the phone and I know what's going on in his life and we share kid duties. And so to walk into a situation where there was conflict and to find out that there is such a thing as like high conflict personality disorder, mm-hmm. you know, like was, I was like, oh, uh-huh. you know, and that's a whole other level of besides just the normal stuff that I think stepmoms and bio moms have is when you have high conflict birth mom, that is like a whole other animal where we are out of our element and I did not know how to navigate it. Yes. You know, there are people that will hurt their children in order to hurt their former spouse. Right. There are people that will do that. And so we're dealing with that on top of just all of the pressures of blending that takes it to a whole other level. You know, I think the only reason that we're still married is because I am too stubborn to let someone else's personality disorders ruin my marriage. Yeah. Yeah. I can see how people that don't, and I, I've got a skill set in this. I have a background in training. This is what I do for a living is like mental health. And so if the there's a lot of people that don't have that. And right. if you walk into this, I mean, it can it easily destroy a marriage. And then they oh, get yes. to have another broken home. Yes. Yes. My ex and I do not have a good relationship. Uh, never have. We have never co-parented. It's always been parallel parenting. And keep in mind, we split up while I was pregnant. So my child has always had two different sets of rules, two different everything. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting to see the difference because I know in the beginning, David and I, I could complain and complain and complain. And that would be a lot of our conversations. But you realize it's not going to change. And Mm -hmm. quit reacting to them and instead respond when necessary. By taking that power away that they have over you Mm -hmm. is a feeling of freedom. Yeah. Yeah. And to not be surprised when crazy people are crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things, the tools that I give people is to kind of maybe log behavior. So, you know, I know in our case, there will be a, 
time period of like normal, friendly, appropriate behavior, and then it will ramp up and get weird. Mm -hmm. And we can usually kind of tell when it's coming, you know? Yeah. Another thing that we started doing that was incredibly helpful was that we only talked about like when we were in the middle of court or even now when we are dealing with some behaviors from the other house. We don't talk about it in our home. We don't talk about it in our bed. When my husband's on his way home from work at night, he has about a 25-minute commute. He'll call me, and that's when we discuss this stuff. So right. we don't even bring it into the house. We talk about it, process it, whatever, and are very aware of when one of us is starting to get heated or triggered, and we'll take breaks and come back. But we don't even – that doesn't come into this house. This is a sacred place. That is perfect because too many people live with the ghost of bio mom in their house. Yeah. And I'm not saying because she's dead. I'm saying because she's always there. Yeah. And here's the thing, you know, we can take the, I'm a big proponent of this. We can take these difficult situations. My stepson and being a stepmother, I've done a lot of stuff in my life. It's really cool. And my stepson has been in this experience has been my biggest teacher and I have turned it into a facet of my business and I'm helping other people with it. And some of her behaviors have motivated me in a way that nothing else has. And um, I have turned that into incredible success for myself and my family and my business instead of letting it drag me down. Right. And I've used it as fuel. Yes, yes. And a lot of people misunderstand the Nacho Kids method as it's just disengaging. And that's not the case. You can disengage and that lets the pressure off, but that's not fixing anything. You have to have the tools to deal with things. You have to identify your triggers, figure out how to either cope with them differently or avoid them. You have a lot of self-development in that because you need to see things from a different perspective. And you also need to be able to see how you can contribute to the problem. Buy a mom might go crazy. You, You can log it and she might go crazy. But if you recognize that, hey, I put a post of a picture of me and the stepkid on Facebook right before she went crazy, then that's the trigger. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people don't want to see how they are contributing negatively to anything. It's hard to do. It's hard. It's very hard to do, but, you know, that's called self-awareness. Yes. (laughs) And could we make it, if I can wave a magic wand over the world, it would be to increase self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And I will say this, in my experience, I went from this stepkid that was very behaviorally disordered and it was really rough and our marriage almost biting the dust several times to learning this stuff. Like you said, identifying triggers, being more self-aware, realizing what was working and what wasn't, becoming incredibly boundaried around my role as a stepmother and what I can and can't do for my own mental and physical health and focusing on creating a relationship with my stepson. And what has happened is this, I mean, this kid lied to CPS about me. Right. Like, <laughs> that's like, it's pretty bad. We have a great relationship. And now uh, he called, he just calls to talk to me. You know, last night he called me, what are you doing? How was your day? You know, asked what I was cooking. We do fun things together. We cook in the kitchen. He wants to engage with me and spend time with me. And I attribute that to the tenacity that my husband and I had in staying in this and figuring it out. And the work that I did with the support of friends and therapy and everything else to get to 
a healthy place in our blended family. And the fact that he was seven when we met, he's 14 now, <laughs> like it's been the seven, like we're coming together. Mm-hmm. We're coming together. And so people often think this is so horrible and it's never going to change. It is just hang in there because, and do the work on yourself because when we do work on ourselves, it ripples out everywhere mm-hmm. and it, it can be healed and it can be fixed. And there's not just one way to do it. There's lots of ways, lots of ways. Well, let me ask um, you this. I know yeah. we need to wrap up soon. How did you overcome the stepkid accusing you of something that resulted in DCS coming to your house? Because I know so many stepmoms that can't even let go of, well, little Johnny told by a mom that I didn't feed him lunch. And in comparison, that small versus DCS is knocking on your door. Yeah, because these are children. These are children. And I believe, my person believes, or that God has placed all of the children in my life for a reason. And I believe that I have a spiritual responsibility to do the best I can, which is going to vary from day to day. And I also understood that his allegations were coming from securities and was doing what she could to try and control. Um, and it wasn't about him at all. He's just a puppet. And that's sad. And it made me feel empathy and, and deep compassion for him. And I realized that my stepson was saying what he was saying because he was being told to and manipulated by his mom. And she was reacting out of her own insecurities and triggers and fears and her, she, you know, her desire to control and punish, you know, this came from her. This did not come from this child. Right. You know, and he did, he would say things like, you know, I don't like her or whatever. Well, you know what? I wasn't very likable. Mm-hmm. But I don't blame him. At the time he was saying that stuff, I wasn't a real good time. But these are kids and they're children and they're going to say things and they are going to do things. And when they have these moms that are high conflict, they're so stuck in the middle and recognizing his position. He had these two houses and these, these adults that were fighting over him mm-hmm. gave me compassion and empathy compassion and empathy for these kids because they didn't ask for this. They didn't, he didn't ask for me to show up. He didn't ask for there to be an affair on his mom's side that tore apart the marriage. He didn't ask to lose his father and access his father the way that he did. They did, they had no choice. We picked this. We married these men. We signed up for it. That didn't mean we knew it was going to be easy. It didn't mean we don't regret it, (laughs) but these kids had no choice. And they're, they're trying to please their mothers because they love their mothers and they're loyal, loyal, loyal to their mothers because they have a primal original bond to these women. And yeah. Yeah. Compassion. Well, I do hate the phrase of you signed up for it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I signed up to be David's wife. I did not sign up to take Mm -hmm. over his parenting responsibilities nor become a mother to their children. Yeah. Yeah, I hate that too, which is why I brought it up. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> one, I mean, you knew what you were yeah. getting into. You married, when you married them, they became your children. I mean, we can make a list of, in fact, I did a blog one time on a list of things not to say to a stepmom. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, and here's the deal we have to recognize that culturally, stepmoms are bad. They're bad in every Disney movie, they're bad in every movie on TV, they're bad in every Lifetime movie. 
nasty. They're bad in books. They're, they're, we're bad. Men are celebrated. Oh, you stepped up and you took those care of those children and blah, 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 you know, all that. They're, men are celebrated when they step into this role and we are denigrated. It's pervasive in our culture. Nobody has made a movie about somebody being a kick-ass stepmom. Well, maybe you should make that movie, Sarah. <laughs> so I, so I, I'm working on this book. Talk about all the ways I wasn't great at it and how I learned to be better. And I'm still not perfect. And I still don't always do it perfectly. And I still say things. I'm like, oh, man, I should have handled that differently. But, you know, I do, we do that in everything in our lives. But no, Mm -hmm. I don't know one single stepmom. And I know a lot of them that would do this again. And as a matter of fact, my adult daughters that are dating are actively avoiding people that have children because they don't want to be step parents after watching my experience. So yeah, I think we do. We sign up for it, quote, air quote, but we have no idea what we're getting into. And even somebody like me who fostered all of these children and adopted one and everything like, you know, and had been child, a child of a blended family thought I knew I didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not a thing. Yep. So what would be one piece of advice that you would give someone that is going to be a stepmom? Um, get, I have a incredible group of stepmom friends that we're in a text thread together and they're, they are my place to vent. They're the places where if I need to be small and petty, I'm like, can I just have my petty five minutes? Because we have to have places to outpour that. You know, and they will, and they'll give me five minutes and then they'll be like, okay, your time's up. You're better than this. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, supportive, supportive, yeah. Supportive stepmom friends. Um, even if it's on the internet, if that's all you can find, luckily mine are in real life. Those have been my greatest source of comfort and joy therapy, finding people to work with who specifically work in blended family rules our roles and understand blended family systems on a deep level, coaching, stepmom coaching, reading books, educate yourself, educate yourself. And then when the triggers start to come up, pay attention to what's really going on. Because when we get angry with our stepkids, there's, there's something else underneath and we need to be brave enough to look at like what that is. Right. And I'd like to add when reading books, because we read books, we prepared. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I can say I feel like it hurt us more than helped us mm-hmm. because all of the information we read was be like a nuclear family, be mom, treat them like your own, all mm-hmm. that crap, which is crap. When right. what we really needed to be told was focus on your marriage. Let relationships with your stepkids and between your stepkids and bio kids form naturally and don't take over parenting those kids. Yeah. And luckily I didn't read those books. Luckily I read Step Monster that talked about everything I was going through through and the science behind it. And that made me understand that the things I was feeling were normal. And luckily we were part of some things at our church that established a hierarchy for the marriage and that focused on the marriage and realized that the kids come next. And so Luckily, those were the books that I accessed and read Mm -hmm. because, yeah, the other ones probably would not have resonated with me because I knew from my own experience as a stepchild that that kind of advice was not going to work. Right. And, you know, of course, when we read it, we didn't know. And 
Of course, we did everything wrong, almost got divorced, worked through it. I realized they were not my kids, thankful to Mr. Butler. And through that next year of trial and error, we created the Nacho Kids Method. Mm -hmm. And it has helped me tremendously, not just in Mm -hmm. the blend, but outside of the blend, at Walmart, at work, driving down the road, because it is the self-awareness that we talked about. It is the changing your perspective. It is giving grace. There's just so much more to it. But when we were first starting, if someone would have told me they are not your kids, don't tell them to do anything, I'd have been like, well, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. Because, again, it may be the woman thing or whatever. We come in thinking that's our role. Yeah. And I think for me, you know, when I, when I saw my husband for the first time, I mean, it was like a movie, you know, he walks in and he's like illuminated by light and like angels (laughs) are singing. And like, we, we had lunch and it wasn't even like, I was not looking. I was not looking. That's when it happens. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to marry him at the end of lunch. Like I knew. And when I met my stepson, I felt the same way about him. I just, I, I immediately fell in love with him on site. I know that's not the way that it is for a lot of people. It wasn't even that way with me with some of my foster kids, but for my stepson, I fell in love with him when I met him. And mm-hmm. that made the whole experience that much more intense. I'm grateful that I'm the kind of person that when I go through hard stuff, I tend to learn about it and educate myself and seek out resources because I think so many people just get stuck and like, this is just my life now and it's miserable. And, and they just um, want to complain. They don't, they want to complain. And I had, I was kind of in a stepmom group and there was one of those, you know, and she just wanted to complain. And she was just, this woman was driving these children all over the planet and parenting and, very negative about these kids' mom. And just when we get a bad rap as stepmoms and birth moms, <laughs> like she was kind of, you know, and she, she didn't want to ever want to fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is a group of women where we all like want to be called on our stuff. And they were like, Hey, you know, I, that's the kind of relationships I want. And, you know, she didn't really remain in the group because I'm not about just continuing to be stuck in my in the mud. Like I want to rise above that and I'm going to take a shower and clean off and be like, okay, what did I learn from that? And like start missing puddles, but not everybody does. And if if that's what somebody's going to choose for themselves, I mean, you're just, you're choosing to be miserable. Yes. You're choosing to be miserable and you're giving your power away to the other house and to the other mom and to the children and to your husband. And that is, that is no way to live. Right. I get people need to vent. Everybody needs to vent. Mm -hmm. I sent a text to a friend of mine the other day. I'm like, I need to vent. I just had to go off, you know, two minutes. That's it. And then I was good. Mm -hmm. And venting is good. And I've also been there where my stepkids hated me. And the feeling was mutual, we will say. So when someone's in my Facebook group and they talk about they hate their stepkids, a lot of people are like, oh, my God. Why do you let people like that in the group? It's because I was one of those people. It's not like I wished mm-hmm. harm on them, but they were trying to destroy my marriage. And I was at a place that I couldn't see past my own hurt 
to see that they were struggling, which is something else that we teach mm-hmm. in the method. But mm-hmm. if you're constantly in the Facebook group and you're wanting me to validate your petty behavior and say, yeah, it's okay to cut hot water off while the kid's in the shower. You're in the wrong place, mama. Yeah. Because yeah. that's not what it's about. And if all you want to do is complain and you don't want to do anything as far as trying to work to make your relationship better, then you need to go to some other group because, again, that's not what we're about. We want to help well, you. need you. to go to another group and you need to remove yourself from the lives of those children because you're traumatizing them. Right. Yes. Now, mm-hmm. I will say that there are some people in my Facebook group. It's off the chain. I call it the Island of Misfit Stepmoms. But some people are in the group, and if the stepmom says, well, little Johnny was here and wanted me to fix him whatever for supper, and I told him no, he could fix a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Some people will say, oh, my God, that's abuse and neglect. You oh, know, my gosh. They yeah. go to extremes. Mm-hmm. Now, even cutting the hot water off while somebody's in the shower, that's not abuse or neglect. That's just being a douchebag. Right. <laughs> yeah. But some people, yeah. they do, yeah. they jump on that bandwagon of, oh, these kids are going to be in therapy because of how you're treating them. No, they're not. Because yeah. you're not treating them yeah. badly. You're just not, you're only having positive interaction. And for people that think that things are abuse and neglect, I invite them to go to their local court and sit them on some CPS hearings. Yeah. And hear what real abuse and neglect is because abuse and neglect is stuff like I see, which is leaving a child to starve in a back room and with a pig. Abuse and neglect is fathers raping their children. Abuse and neglect is not feeding your children and not coming home for a week because you're out doing drugs. And you've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old locked in an apartment with no food. Mm-hmm. That's abuse and neglect. Right. And so we need to really redefine that. And And another thing that we talk about cultural stuff is redefining the way that we support each other as mothers. You know, this whole thing about judging how other people mother. I think maybe, you know, some of it comes with experience. I've been a mother for 28 years. My oldest daughter was a drug addict. She was a meth addict. She was in and out of jail. She was homeless. Wow. You know, and the amount of judgment I got for that. She was an adult. She made these choices. She, we lived in a golf course community. She was homeschooled and Girl Scouts and went to Cotillion. And, you know, but it was <laughs> your fault nice, because you were mom. It was my fault. And that was when I really started to see the judgment of mothers. Dads don't get judged like that. Mm-hmm. And what if we realize like being a mother is hard? It is so hard. It is constant and it's never ending. And it is so hard. And what if we just went like, even with my, you know, my stepson's mom, like I have empathy and compassion for her. And I understand where a lot of her behaviors come from. You know, she's made choices that she's made that have gotten her to the place that she is in, in her life. And would I define the things that happen in the house as technical abuse and neglect? No. Do I think it's ideal circumstances and do I think that this sweet boy should he deserves more absolutely but also I understand too that because of the choices that she's made and the things that she's done that she probably has deep shame and guilt and I know I know she doesn't feel good about herself when when you're living the way that she's living you can't right at on your you know 
So like I have empathy and I get it. I get it. And there may be a time and I that door is open where and, and at one point there was she and I had a two hour conversation and, and figured some things out and buttoned some stuff up. And I'm open to that happening again. But I think that's going to require some work on her part to do that. And also, who knows? But I, I have compassion and empathy there. And we need to have that for all mothers, all because being alive is hard and being human is hard and, and judging other mothers and especially judging other stepmothers, people need to get off their high horse because mm-hmm. I promise you, you're going to make a mistake today. I promise you today, there's going to be something that you do that you didn't do perfect. Right. And it just amazes <laughs> me how critical and judgmental and mean some of these stepmoms are to other stepmoms. Right. You know, and I, here's the deal. I've been that I've been judgmental. Like I am big into nutrition and food. And I mean, that doesn't mean we have perfect diets, but I, I know a lot because of how, where I work and how important food is, especially for kids that have behaviors. And so it was really hard for me when my stepson just ate a Lunchable every day. Like every day, he had a Lunchable. <laughs> like, oh, like that's the worst food on the planet, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm a bad mom. You know? But like, that's my thing. Like, that's my standard. Another mom might be horrified by the fact that my son comes home and plays Madden on the video game with his friends every afternoon for hours. Mm-hmm. Me at social time. Right. But like I've been, I've been judgmental and I know I get judged. And, but like at the core, even people that really do abuse their kids, like in CPS, like these people that I see in my work at the CASA, they love their kids and their kids love their parents. Right. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. And I, and maybe it comes from just, having been a mom for so long and everything that I've been through and everything that I've seen. But yeah, I mean, we, the grace factor and, and why we, why do we think we deserve grace if we're not willing to give it? I don't know. Amen. Yep. Well, Amen. S- Sarah, I could talk to you yeah. forever. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Tell people where they can find you. Um, you can find me at yarningshaman.com. So it's Y-A-R-N-I-N-G-S-H-A-M-A-N, yarningshaman.com. I do, um, I'm a holistic mental health provider, and I also have a subset of my practice where I do um, conscious divorce and blended family coaching. So it's about what we've been talking about today, like no, finding your triggers, finding real solutions that work for your family and trying to create joy in your home and peace. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you, Lori. I really appreciate it. I love, I love doing this. I could, like you said, I could talk about this all day. <laughs> I know. I know. Same here. It's, it's where our passion is. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, have a great day. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. I thought it was funny when this stepmom mentioned that one of her best friend's child method is three hots in a cot method. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's funny. <laughs> Just make sure they're safe and fed. Yep. Just like the prison system. Yep. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about this earlier. And I guess it's because that whole Murdoch, Murdoch, whatever trial. But if our taxes can be used to pay for somebody in the prison system. Mm-hmm. 
And I think it's what fifty to seventy thousand dollars a year or something like that per person. It's not cheap. Then why can't they create the same system for homeless people? Mm, so kind of like a place for them to stay as you give them food and all that, like a shelter, homeless shelter, but it's almost like a halfway house, right? But of course, helping them to do things to better their life um, and their situation, which well, there, some jails are like that. You can get a darn lawyer's degree in jail. <laughs> there there are organizations out there that do that all over the place. The, the difference is with prison is that um, you have a captive audience. <laughs> um, with the homeless, a lot of times um, they don't want to, you know, they don't want to be in those structured programs. They want to go back to, you know, where they live and all that. They don't want to be put up somewhere. Yeah, that's like have, the homeless guy in town. He's right. got family, but he, he'd rather live by himself on the streets. Yeah. And so, like, for example, up in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, I'm familiar with one where they have to be part of a program and they go in. It's not just homeless. It's also people that are, like, addicted to drugs and all that. But they have to agree to be in this program for a certain amount of time, which means they have to live there and all that. And then he, there's a lot of people that drop out because they don't want to do that. Even though they're there to help, that's like they don't they don't want to be dedicated to that program where they can't go back to their friends and their other way of life and all that. It's hard for people to even temporarily give up complete freedom because if you're in a program like that, you don't have complete freedom. Right. You know, you've got to stay where they say stay and, and follow rules and all that. Um, I mean, we see that throughout other areas of life as well, but you know, everybody wants to make their own decisions and do their own thing. And sometimes even to their own detriment. But, but there are programs out there for that. I worked at a company that did business with Maricopa, Maricopa County Jail. <laughs> and I didn't know it at the time. But after I'd been there a while, I started hearing all these stories about Maricopa County Jail. Uh-huh. And at the time, I don't know if they still do it, but they said it is the worst prison in the United States. They don't have air conditioning. They live in tents. They work. Mm-hmm. If they want to watch TV, they have to ride a bike to power the TV. I think we should do that here. I am not riding a bike to watch TV. <laughs> but the whole you'd thing either, is... You'd either watch less TV or you'd be in shape. <laughs> yeah. The whole thing is, when you talk to these prisoners, they're like, man, once I get out of here, I ain't coming back. And mm-hmm. their return rate... For prisoners that have already been in their program or their system or their jail, what prison, whatever you want to call it, is very, very low. Yeah, that well, works. But also, and I don't mean to get off on a tangent, but I am anyway, the Chrisleys, you know, they went to jail. Mm-hmm. And I was reading something about the difference in the men's and the women's prisons. It's almost like the women get the leftovers of what is not needed at the men's prisons. Hmm. I found that very interesting because you would think they would be equal. You know what I'm saying? $100,000 goes to this one, $100,000 goes to this one. You buy your supplies, you buy your supplies. But it wasn't like that from what I read. Yeah, I know zero about that. 
<laughs> Me either. But with all the court cases going on around here, you know. Yeah. Now, if I'm you a crime go to, junkie. You can go to prison and then you can, you'll know, you know, firsthand. No. You know, take a little vacation. 90 days in. I visited in. Alcatraz and that's as close as I'm going to get. Isn't that what it is? 90 days in? 60 days in? Yeah, remember we used to watch that. Know. And that's know. where I heard about those potato chips. <laughs> the whole shebang. <laughs> I think that's the name of it. Yeah, and I found them at the convenience store and I bought them. And they were really, really good. They worth going to prison for? They used to only be in the commissary at prisons, but now they're for the public. How about that? Now you don't have to go to prison to get them. (laughs) Yep. And they can come up with some creative recipes in there, too. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Uh, I'm off my tangent of the prison system for now. All right, right. then. Anything else you got going on, David? Anything else? Nothing but living life. Okay. All right, then. That is our show for this week, folks. Thanks for joining. Thanks for listening. And remember, don't forget, CBA Crack Hour Scholarship. Apply for it. And how do I do that again, David? You go to nachokids.com slash scholarship. Plural. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's it. All right, folks. Remember, life is good. When you nacho. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids Podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.